Welcome to the Diabetes Vault. Research into diabetes has been behind closed doors, locked away to those of us living with it. The purpose of this podcast is to bring the research out into the mainstream, present it and help us to understand it. The aim is to open up and in the process align what's being done in the research world with what it's like for us living our lives at the cold face, dealing with the challenges of diabetes. Join me, Andrew Wilson, and my co-host, Dr. Matthew Campbell, to explore the vault. Okay, so welcome to episode four of the Diabetes Vault. If you haven't caught any of these episodes before, please do go back to uh, the introductory episode where Matt Campbell and myself sort of introduce ourselves and we talk about our history. The first three episodes are about insulin sensitivity specifically, and we're getting some good feedback on those. I want to welcome a friend of mine today. This is our first guest onto the diabetes vault so hopefully this is going to go swimmingly i'm sure it will because this is a perfect person to have on here so please welcome nick Karakandas, who is better known let's be honest as the diabetic athletic you can sort of catch up with him on instagram i'll put links in below but nick trains people has been type one for a long time i'll ask him to introduce himself in a bit more detail in a minute but the reason he's on this episode in particular is because the next few episodes are about exercise and nick's the perfect man to have on so nick would you give us a bit of background about yourself please yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Andrew and Matthew, it's awesome to be here. Um, when you asked me to, uh, well, to be here tonight, I, uh, well, oh, you're a, you're a decent bloke. I, I like you quite a lot, and I, <laughs> so I would never have said no. But when I heard I heard what we were going to be chatting about, I was uh, I was very very excited. But yes, uh, as you all know, I'm from Diabetic Athletic or DiabeticAthletic.com. Uh, I've been living with type one diabetes for thirty years now. Um, and uh, well, I suppose my role and purpose kind of runs deeper than a, than a quick, short elevator pitch. But when summed up, uh, it's to develop fail-proof fitness and nutritional strategies together with tools, tactics, and support systems uh, that guide you or I guess people living or trying to navigate diabetes every step of the way while inspiring them to become the best versions of themselves. Uh, for some, I'm a shoulder to cry on. For some, of I'm a support system. For others, I'm a performance coach that we all wished we had in and outside of high school. And for the rest, I guess I'm just the gap between the black hole of information on the internet uh, and while trying to apply that information into our own lives and our own specific goals, lifestyle challenges, and well, desired outcomes. Listen, that was a pretty good elevator pitch, okay? You do. <laughs> I've given it a few times. It's different every <laughs> single time, though. <laughs> Perfectly done. And and now, hopefully the listeners or the viewers um, that are watching this can now understand exactly why you're on here. This next paper, um, l- let's jump into it. So, Matt, would you uh, sort of give us the introduction? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give you a kind of broad overview, and then I think it'll be really good, actually, to hear from yourself and, and Nick, actually, just just to hear what you guys actually took away from it. Um, but this, this paper is, uh, again, one from, one from my group. Um, it was published a few years ago now. Um, so it's kind of been, it's been out there. 
um, for a little while, but probably not readily accessible for a lot of people. It's been tucked away in, a, in um, an academic journal. In this particular paper, what, what we were looking to do was to try and develop a fairly comprehensive strategy to prevent exercise-induced hypoglycemia. So try and prevent those really dangerous blood sugar lows. Um, and it builds on quite a bit of work from, um, from some previous studies, which um, my uh, collaborators and, and colleagues had, had undertaken. But essentially, it was kind of tinkering around the edges with um, insulin dosing strategies. Um, and also carbohydrate feeding. So in this particular paper, we, we used a, a relatively small, um, fairly homogenous sample, um, so a, a fairly kind of tightly controlled sample of, um, of, of men with type 1 diabetes. Um, and we exposed them to a few different conditions where we asked them to run on a treadmill at a fairly moderate intensity for about 45 minutes. Um, so it's it's not, um, it's not a particularly light type of exercise, but we, we chose that, that particular type of exercise because we know that it's really good at inducing hypoglycemia, not just, not only is it really difficult to avoid hypoglycemia during exercise, but also immediately afterwards and also for a number of hours afterwards. So on the kind of first arm of the study, we fed our guys a carbohydrate-based meal. So again, kind of following broad recommendations, consume some carbohydrate before you do aerobic-based exercise. And we, we heavily reduced their insulin dose. Um, and the reduction was, was around about 75%, which you know, to a lot of people would probably seem like a fairly, a fairly large amount. And then we asked them to, to exercise after an hour of having actually consumed that meal. Uh, and then 45 minutes after that, um, well, we, we actually continued to monitor their, their blood, blood sugar responses uh, in that kind of post-exercise period. And then when it got to about 60 minutes or so after exercise, we then asked them to consume another carbohydrate meal. Um, and then again, um, we, we manipulated their insulin administration. So they either administered their usual unchanged dose um, or they reduced their dose by 25% or they reduced it by 50%. And what we were able to show in this particular study was that you could completely prevent exercise-induced hyperglycemia both during exercise if you heavily reduced your insulin dose beforehand. And you could also avoid hyperglycemia for the first kind of three to six hours or so after exercise if you also reduced your mealtime insulin dose by about 50% or so. The main issue that we found was that although this was a fairly protective strategy for preventing hyperglycemia during and immediately after exercise, people tended to go quite high, both immediately before exercise and then also in that kind of post-exercise period. And also it wasn't really fully protective against hyperglycemia much later on after exercise, so over the next kind of 12 to 24 hours. Um, we then went on to, to, to publish a, a few other papers that I'm sure we'll kind of talk very broadly around, um, which, which kind of went back to the drawing board and, and, and looked to try and manipulate even further uh, insulin dosing and also carbohydrates. But the reason why I picked this particular paper is because we can really explore some of the mechanisms in terms of what's actually going on. Um, in terms of, you know, why do you see those blood sugar dips both during exercise and then they also seem to come back many, many hours afterwards as well. And this ties really nicely into the last three talks or the last three podcasts where 
where we, we, we were really trying to, to dig down into the importance of insulin sensitivity. And obviously, a lot of people do exercise because it has a huge insulin sensitivity effect. So that's the main kind of crux of the paper. We had a, a relatively small, tightly controlled sample, um, and we manipulated insulin dose both before and after exercise and explored which particular strategy was most effective. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I would say that the reason most people with type one, I would I would assume, um, exercise is possibly not because of insulin sensitivity. It's not. I, I don't think that plays a, a, an initial part. I think it's more to do with, quite honestly, I think it's more to do with feeling like you're doing something that is good for you in the longer term, but also in the short term, just for your mindset you know, get yourself away from, ideally get yourself away from thinking about blood sugars, invariably it comes into it. But, um, but for me, I exercise on a daily basis. And I do that for for so many reasons. But the major one is just for mindset. And it's the outlook on for the rest of the day. And I exercise quite early, which Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but but that's what this this study was about. It was about exercising quite early in the day as well. Yeah, so this this particular study, we we got people in the lab almost kind of first thing in the morning, um, and that's particularly interesting in its own right because insulin sensitivity actually changes throughout the day. And you're right; I think although most people you know don't necessarily exercise because they're necessarily aware or interested in, in influencing their insulin sensitivity, if you ask people with type one who do exercise quite regularly, you know what benefits do they see? Well, they'll say things. Well, actually, I have a much better control of blood sugars. Um, I can lower my insulin dose. Um, I see less variability. And when you, add, when you start to kind of add all of those factors together, the root cause of, of most of that is actually in insulin sensitivity. Yep. Um, so they're kind, of, they're kind of trying to change insulin sensitivity, but not necessarily knowing that that's the thing that they're trying to achieve. It's, it's these kind of other kind of symptoms of diabetes, which, which are really starting to play in. Um, but yeah, this particular study was run first thing in the morning. And then we also did some follow-on studies whereby we run exercise sessions later in the afternoon. And, and obviously the big, the big thing there is the later you do exercise into the day, there's basically a kind of, I guess, a kind of a 12 to 16 hour window, which is, I would say is the kind of the danger window, uh, the, the kind of danger window of, of um, where you, you, you've got the, the, the biggest kind of risk of developing hyperglycemia. So if you're doing that quite late on the day, you're you're likely to go low later in the evening, possibly during sleep. Um, But this particular study was was around first thing in the morning. Nick, what's your thoughts? Uh, Many, I must be honest. I think I've had about at least 101 thoughts since you started speaking until now. And I have that thing where I force myself to listen and not think about what I'm going to say. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, I've got many thoughts on the topic. I must say, uh, exercise mainly in my life has been and is one of my biggest anchors, just as far uh, as I suppose just life traits go. You know, the way somebody does or applies themselves to an exercise or training program, it really develops trait characteristics of our personalities. It's very difficult uh, to be able to take yourself through something when that something is very difficult on a daily basis. And so it kind of develops our character. And so exercise has always been a tool I've used to develop discipline. And I've been diabetic almost my whole life. And without discipline, diabetes becomes incredibly difficult. But so does exercise and so does nutrition. And so 
that's the whole reason for the diabetic athletic triangle of control is to put those three together. So when you say, uh, you know, a lot of us exercise for stability in our glucose levels and for our ability to be able to process carbohydrates better. And I guess that ties into peace of mind and, and then other reasons why we exercise. That is the biggest reason why I exercise. And well, it's the biggest reason I think a lot of us do is because it helps us with the stability of our diabetes, which then transfers over into everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I must say the, like I said, before we, before we hopped on here, this paper was, was pretty fantastic and it was pretty, it was exactly spot on the way we can, we kind of work with, um, exercise and the effects exercise has on glucose levels, specifically for those that I work with. Um, is that it's got a lot to do with the type of exercise that's being done. That has a big role as to what actually happens with our glucose levels afterwards. As you said, aerobic activity, or um, I think you used another term, uh, but that is going to cause glucose to be drawn out of the bloodstream, which means hypoglycemia and low sugar events. However, once we start reaching certain durations or intensity levels, even if it's the same kind of activity, uh, that creates a different sugar level response, um, the stress hormones and, and so on at the end of, at the end of training. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, without going, without going off track, I think, um, I think the reason we exercise is pretty much all the same. You know, we've all got those superficial, the, the, the shallow goals that we have, like I want to lose weight and I want to gain muscle and I want to be strong, but then the, the real reasons start to develop down there. And I guess they all just come back to trying to manage our diabetes better so that we can manage our lifestyles better. It's a bit of a juxtaposition though, isn't it? Because from, from this research and us knowing about diabetes, what you actually put yourself into is a, a, a sort of a state of, look, there's a good chance I'm going to be hyperglycemic here or potentially hyperglycemic before or even after, depending on what I eat. Now, the difficulty with that is that's where the mindset is more important than what's actually physically happening to you here and now. And it's the long-term benefits of doing it, I think, that that persuade people to and, and drive us to exercise. But to get back to the, to the, the paper itself, um, if you're... Uh, that was my initial question, actually, Matt, was what, what levels were you considering, were people um, sort of hitting for blood sugars prior to training with only a 25% sort of uh, insulin um, amount of insulin that they're taking for the food an hour prior? So um, I guess what a lot of more recent research has actually shown is that it's not necessarily the blood glucose level that you start at um, immediately before exercise, it's more to do with how much insulin you've actually got on board. Um, because that will actually dictate how much carbohydrate you're going to need during exercise. Now, of course, you don't necessarily want to be starting exercise, you know, if you've only got, you know, like three millimoles, four, four millimoles. Um, but, you know, as long as you're within a relatively normalish range, you know, between kind of six and eight, six and nine, um, you know that's that's probably okay as long as you as long as you've adjusted your insulin accordingly. And actually, what what we were actually well, what this particular paper demonstrates is the huge reduction that you see in glucose levels. Not necessarily, you know, if you don't change uh, insulin concentrations, but you know, even if you have a heavily reduced dose, you still see quite a dramatic fall 
in blood sugar levels. So some of the guys, and you know, bearing in mind this is under you know quite tightly controlled lab-based conditions, you know, so we've got people hooked up, we're monitoring them continuously. It's a very safe environment that we've got these these guys exercising in. Um, you know, some of, some of these guys were kind of starting up at kind of you know 15, 6, 15, 16 millimoles, you know, before before they, they started exercise. 45 minutes running at a fairly you know moderate to high intensity, they were coming back down to five or six. So you see a you know, you see a dramatic reduction in blood sugar levels. That's not the same across across the board. It's it is actually actually extremely you know, variable. People do have very variable blood sugar responses. There's a whole host of different reasons why you see that change uh, or you see that variability between different people and, and also within the same person from uh, day to day. So it's not necessarily what glucose level you start at. It's more how much insulin you've got on board because that's, that's really what's going to dictate the reduction. When you're exercising, there's basically two main factors which is going to lower your blood sugar levels. One is the exercise. The muscles are, are literally extracting glucose from the circulation. And, and, it, and they will do that quite happily without the, you know, without the effect of insulin. So they do it almost in a kind of insulin-independent way. If you then superimpose high insulin concentrations on top of that, so you have a, a normal insulin dose, um, that is then going to extract you know, far too much glucose from the circulation. I mean, usually during exercise, the pancreas actually downregulates the amount of insulin that it'll produce. You know? So um, we've, we've got this kind of normal kind of compensatory mechanism to lower insulin levels. Obviously, with people with type 1, your insulin concentrations are the result of the previously administered dose. So that's why you need to reduce your insulin concentrations before exercise. You need to reduce your insulin dose so that you can you can almost try and mimic that normal physiological response the difficulty is trying to get that spot on and trying to get that spot on every single time and that's very much a you know the thing which i really hate saying to everybody but it really is a kind of trial and error process you know what works for you i'm i'm sure you've probably seen that with with some of your guys as well nick you know that, that kind of trial and error process i find it incredibly frustrating i'm sure i'm sure the type one community do as well there isn't yeah. just one kind of silver bullet. Yeah, there is definitely no, there's definitely no silver bullet. Uh, the one thing, well, one of the strategies we use uh, here uh, is that we have, especially when working with a new type one diabetic who's trying to actually grasp how to manage glucose levels and exercise, because exercise is difficult without diabetes. And now we throw diabetes in the mix and then it's a whole different story. Uh, but generally what we do pretty much summed up is to start off is that the exercises will be the same and what we'll do is we'll split aerobic versus anaerobic activity and test just aerobic workouts for certain periods of time so that we have the same workouts being tested across the board let's just say it's three workouts over the week uh, and generally speaking that workout will be done three hours after the last meal and when insulin was administered so generally you've already got minimized insulin on board i mean most short actings are only lasting four hours anyway so you're going in with insulin on board but you have very little left you do the same workout three times in a row and you test the variables across the board that allows us to kind of see how much we need to draw back on insulin before and after the workout with no surprising variables. You know, if you test an aerobic workout today that's an hour long and a weight workout tomorrow just after your meal, and then you do a fasted 20 minute high intensity interval session the next day, you're never gonna be able to get any 
any real firm grip on what your glucose levels are doing with the amount of insulin on board you have. So that's, that's a tool that we use to try and find that without the error, without too much error and I suppose strategic trial. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting actually because I'm, I'm curious what, what you do after exercise because as with a lot of my work, the origins of this paper actually came from looking at what people typically do you know, so, um, you know, being being a part of the type 1 community, doing a lot of public engagement events, speaking to people with type 1, I would say, you know, how do you, how do you actually manage your insulin doses after exercise? You know, and they'd say, well, I usually reduce them. And, you know, I'd speak to loads of different people and they'd have various different strategies, you know, eat this particular meal at, at a particular time, administer this particular dose of insulin again at that, at that particular time. And there wasn't really any con- continuity between that, you know, so that was really the whole purpose of, of doing this particular paper was it was to say, well, you know, let's try a few different insulin dosing strategies and let's see which one works and, and are there any you know, particular consequences. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that um, if, if I may just go back to is this insulin on board discussion, because you've both mentioned the fact that that you've looked at people certainly on this research paper, but also Nick, you mentioned about um, people being able to manage when they do have insulin on board. Um, it's one of those things that I found really quite challenging. And so therefore, I train in the morning before I've, I have insulin on board. So I train without insulin on board, and I know there's plenty of other people without that 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 do not train post eating because for exactly that reason, as you said, what happens you with see. is your insulin sensitivity is, is or sorry the the ability for the insulin to work whilst you're exercising, depending on the type of exercise, it can just be supercharged, and it's a really it's really quite a stressful thing to happen because you, as you say you can go from eight to three in a matter of 15 minutes and all of a yeah. sudden you're you're in trouble again yeah i always say we're always just seven minutes away from a hypo so you know walking around without sugars on you without sugar on you is, is really not a good idea and i use the example being here in south africa it's probably not a good advertisement but if your sugars are sitting at 5.5 millimoles and someone takes your phone you know you're only going to be able to run around four minutes before you're actually going to have to do something for your sugars uh, but that word that doesn't translate worldwide i guess so um but yes so yes so the three hour rule is is pretty much a really great solid starting point because like i said you're only going to have about 25 percent of the insulin you gave um but let's just say you're going to have breakfast and you have breakfast and you plan to do an exercise session one hour after you've administered uh, insulin for your meal. You can actually take that into account saying, right, if I'm going to put insulin on board now and I'm going to be exercising just 60 minutes afterwards, I'm going to have three quarters of my insulin on board already. You would then reduce the dose that for your meal. So for example, if you were going to give uh, let's just say you give one unit of insulin for 10 grams of carbs and you're eating a 40 gram, uh, 40 gram carb breakfast. Uh, instead of giving all four units and you're going to be training an hour after that, you could give a fourth of that dose and then use the insulin that you would have on board. Um, and then the aerobic activity the, the activity that you're going to be doing, which would then increase the power of the insulin on board, I guess, or how much glucose gets taken out of the bloodstream instead of giving your usual dose and then just blindly training an hour afterwards because you're just going to have too much insulin in the bloodstream. So like you said, it is very person specific, but also the dose for your meal will obviously change 
uh, depending how soon after you're going to be doing activity. What I really liked about this was that you you came to the conclusion, Matt, that if people were to reduce their insulin by 50%, what that does is it it all, you can almost guarantee that they'll be outside of going into that hyperglycemic range, which which is one side of the coin, isn't it? The hyperglycemic is the other, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but equally, that's that's quite a good thing to have tested, um, granted on this number of people, so there will be limitations. But it's a good thing to know that if you reduce it by 25%, you're going to be putting yourself in, in harm's way, potentially. But at 50%, you've, t- you've got less of, a, of that risk. Some people are worried about going low. Some people are worried about going high. So again, it becomes very personal, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. And I mean, so now you're kind of talking about what, what are you going to do after exercise? You know, so you've either kind of um, delayed the time at which you're going to stop exercise or you're going to exercise in a relatively short period, having had a meal and reduce your dose before you start exercise. That's enough to get you through exercise and probably up to about an hour afterwards. The reason why I would advocate having another meal after exercise is because you've obviously used up some of your stored carbohydrate in your muscles. And actually, it's a really high metabolic priority to replenish some of that carbohydrate. So your, your, your body will actually, your muscles will, even though you're, not, even though you're finished exercising, your, your, your muscles will still want to extract glucose from the circulation in order to replenish some of those, some of those carbohydrate stores. So to, to, so to try and supplement that, we advocate having, again, some carbohydrate. You can either have it as one big meal, um, two smaller meals, or you can spread it out throughout, throughout the day. But if you are going to have a carbohydrate meal afterwards, it's really important that you reduce that insulin dose. And again, as you said, in, in this particular paper, we had, we had different dosing strategies. In this particular paper, we showed that if you, if you half your insulin dose, you're right, you, you're, you're pretty much... Although it's a, a relatively small sample and it's all in males and they're relatively young and fit and you know healthy, that you know these guys were pretty much guaranteed to avoid hypoglycemia. So that's that that's in itself is what was a really big finding at the time. It was it was the only study which has really demonstrated a, an effective strategy for preventing hypoglycemia uh, after exercise. But the big caveat of that was that. Fine, you can avoid going low, but because you're going to reduce insulin, you're also going to go, or a large proportion of people actually went quite high. You know, so again, they they were they were having fairly high levels of um, of blood, of uh, having fairly high blood sugar levels. We did actually measure ketones as well, um, and ketones were actually quite low. Uh, and although it's not presented in this particular paper, we also measured a, a lot of other um, really important. Um, kind of biomarkers, which are indicative of, of health. So particularly inflammatory markers and, and, and markers which are important for, for a vascular health, which can, which can change quite um, acutely. Um, and you're right, a lot of people will be concerned about going high, but actually it's only, it, going high is only particularly detrimental when it has a, a negative knock-on effect to, to other kind of metabolic or, or, or biochemical parameters. And, and actually we didn't detect any changes in those. So even though people went quite high, it was actually only for a relatively short period of time. And even those who did go quite high, after about six or seven hours, actually quite a large proportion of those still went low later on after exercise. So reducing your insulin dose after a relatively short period of time after exercise um, 
yes, it, it, it will protect you from, from hyperglycemia if you get the dosing right. It might send you high, but you have to be vigilant in terms of that risk of going low is still there later on in the day. So, you know, we, we actually run a few more studies to then come up with a, uh, a newer or, or, or kind of uh, a more uh, robust strategy, you know, which was slightly more uh, protective. Nick, what's your, your view on, on this? And if I can, can I ask you what your regime is for exercise? And let's, let's just concentrate on this kind of aerobic exercise that we're talking about. Uh, absolutely. Okay. So, um, so for example, this morning, uh, I actually had three different workouts today. One wasn't planned, two were planned. Uh, this morning, uh, I had a 5k, a 5k row and it was a fasted row. So it was, it was at 5am. So I hadn't had any breakfast. Um, I also hadn't switched my pump off. Normally I take my pump off at least, or I turn the insulin off 45 minutes before, uh, an aerobic weight training session. Generally speaking, a lot of us will just turn our pump off right before, but our basal rate is set on an hourly basis. So if you wait right before the workout, you've still, you've still had the last dose generally. And well, if we've got, you know, order corrections on and so on. So it helps just to turn it off 45 minutes before. And that being said, my sugars were around 8.3. Um, and I know generally if I'm working an aerobic workout and I'm working at a moderate pace and I'm talking around a six or a seven out of 10 um, or 60 to 70% of my, of my heart rate, um, I generally start with 15 grams of glucose. And then I know it's almost like clockwork, but 12 to 15 minutes in, I'm going to need another 15 grams of carbs because if I leave that alone, uh, at the 20 minute mark, I start to go low and then there's an interruption in the workout, which is okay because, you know, we get every day, every day is a one day game and we can, we can do it again uh, the next day or just wait and then get back on. Uh, but for aerobic work, uh, I reduce pretty much all my insulin. I ensure that I don't have any insulin on board before any aerobic activity. Uh, and tennis is another, tennis is another example. If I go and I play tennis, I know that I have to switch my pump off or at least reduce my basal by a good 75%, 45 minutes before I start playing. Um, I start with 15 grams of glucose on board. And then again, I know that I'm going to need to replenish, yeah, put more uh, carbohydrate or glucose on board at around the 20 minute mark, or I will start to go low. And again, interruptions in the game. It's a little bit different for anaerobic training. I leave my pump on. Um, I I train with insulin on board when I, um, when I do anaerobic training, but again, that's because the intensity levels are a little bit higher and you get that after, you know, your sugars kind of dip while training potentially depends how long the session is. Um, but then they start to rise slightly afterwards. And so I like the insulin on board for that time. However, my insulin rates are reduced by 50% stock standard uh, for every meal after a workout like that. So when I read your when I read your article and your paper, that was pretty much right on the money because for me, it is 50%. For some, it's a little bit different, a little bit more and less, but across the board, 50% uh, of your usual uh, insulin dose, especially post-activity, uh, is, is an extremely good place to start. And Nick, how, how long would you keep that going for then? Because, I mean, one of the other things about this particular paper was that, you know, we used guys on uh, basal bolus, you know, so using, using pens. You know, you're, you're talking about using an insulin pump, which is obviously a much more flexible method of insulin delivery. You know, you can kind of dial it up and dial it back down. You can almost kind of fine tune it. So if you're, 
if you also reduce your insulin dose down to kind of 50% after exercise, how long do you keep that going for? You know, I mean, how do you avoid, you know, kind of later onset hypoglycemia? Yeah. So it all, again, it really all depends on the style of workout. If I do an aerobic workout late afternoon, I generally don't have much or many lows afterwards. If I do a strength training workout where the muscles are really starting to fight for their life during the activity, right? And they're, uh, they're pulling everything out of the bloodstream. That causes me to need reduced insulin for the next two meals. So generally, I try and train at the same time or same style of workout at the same time of day because that gives me a lot of power and a lot of predictability. Mm-hmm. I try not to throw too many variables. Uh, you know, life's hard enough. I really don't want to be juggling too many. Um, but for those that are on MDI or multiple daily injections, what I rec- what I u- what I usually recommend is not to mix your cardio days or your aerobic days with your strength training days. To have days that you dedicate to strength training and then have days that you dedicate to aerobic training because on days that you do aerobic training you can actually reduce and again if you're ever changing uh, you know your insulin doses it's good to speak to your your healthcare team. Uh, but generally on aerobic training days, you can actually reduce your basal rate because there's no need for that much background insulin. Otherwise, you will definitely start going lower, especially during activity. Uh, but on days where I do strength training or when we do anaerobic training, basal rates can stay the same. It's just the insulin uh, that we are administering during our workout and after will be adjusted and that can be done on a pump or or with pens it's usually after the workout that we're going to um if you do the same style of workout three times in a row and you notice that you've you've gone mildly low three quarters of the way in but then you spike an hour afterwards you would start to think what could you do um because you can already anticipate that outcome is the same each time and so you either reduce your your bolus for the meal or you know that you're going to need some insulin on board, even if it's a minute amount, like one unit uh, or whatever it is, um, as you're starting to end the workout to anticipate for that spike afterwards. But yeah, for multiple daily injections and uh, changing that up, uh, generally n- splitting your your different styles of workouts to different days so that you can dose accordingly, reducing basal or not, that really, really makes a, it really helps quite a bit. That's really good. Now. One of the things you mentioned, Matt, was time under the curve. And, and this, this is mentioned on social and it's mentioned for people that have got obviously insulin pumps and CGMs and the, the other tech equipment that, that is available to people now. Um, I, th- I think it'd be worthwhile pa- perhaps spending five minutes just having a conversation about how important time under the curve is and perhaps tra- almost bringing that back to exercise and insulin sensitivity again. Sorry, Andrew, do you mean uh, area under the curve or time and range? Or? I, 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 yeah, area under the curve. I always go to time under the curve, but yeah, area under the curve. Okay. Yeah, so I, I mean, really, um, area under the curve is just a, a way of trying to compute. Um, it kind of gives you an aggregate score of, um, you know, the amount, the amount of time spent within a within a certain a certain range, really, you know. So if you were to kind of add up all of your glucose, if you were to plot your your glucose values on a on a um, on a, a graph, and you know you've got you've got this kind of waveform, then you just simply calculate the area under that particular curve. And I think what you tend to see in a lot of research papers is that a lower area under the curve tends to be better. But you have to remember, the lower the area under the curve, then you know the 
the increased risk you have of going low. Um, it's also quite quite difficult to, to, to kind of calculate it yourself. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, people, in terms of the metrics that, that people should probably focus on, I, I would probably... I would probably leave that one in the draw, to be honest. Um, I think you, you certainly if you've got a CGM, it's it's rate of change, um, which is probably a little bit more intuitive, um, because that will obviously influence. Certainly, if you want to pump, you know how much you need to dial up or dial down that um, infusion rate. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if you had a, if you know if you had any particular ideas about area under the curve or time under the curve. The, the only reason I, I bring it up is because it's mentioned a couple of times in the paper, but also one of the things I've noticed over the years is especially the more exercise I do or the intensity of the exercise I do, and also how insulin sensitive I am, depending on the foods I'm eating and the amount, again, the amount of exercise I'm doing. Yeah. What you find is your insulin works so much quicker that actually, even if you are at an elevated level, you stay there for such a short period of time when you give yourself insulin or you're exercising that actually it doesn't, it, it, it almost becomes a bit more of a concern about going low than ever being high. Mm. So, so that's really where I wanted to reference it back to the fact that the more exercise we do, the more insulin sensitive we we become. The um, the consistency of the exercise we do, the more insulin sensitive we become, and therefore the less time you're at those elevated levels, and and again, the more you have to start to be concerned about going sort of hypo rather than hyper. Yeah, I mean it's not necessarily illustrated in this paper, but there's a couple of follow-on papers which which we did, you know, to try and to try and make this a little bit more of a robust strategy. And there was really two things which, which we wanted to try and do. So one was to try and um, try and prevent really high glucose levels after exercise because you've reduced the insulin dose. And the second thing, obviously, was to try and prevent that late-onset hypoglycemia. The first thing in terms of high blood sugar levels after a meal, that was actually reasonably easy to do. We just manipulated the type of carbohydrate. So not just looking at the absolute amount, but actually looking at the GI. Um, so you can, you can have kind of fast-releasing carbohydrates or you can have slow-releasing carbohydrates. And simply eating the same amount of carbohydrate, but looking at but switching the type um, so to something which is low GI, uh, that pretty much normalized glucose levels in pretty much all of the uh, study participants. The second thing which we did was that we looked at reducing basal dose as well and you know the same principle applies if you know if you're on a um if you're on a, a pump you know you just kind of titrate the uh, basal dose uh, or basal rate down slightly and why that was particularly important and it really highlights what you just said around insulin insulin sensitivities because in that follow-on study we overfed our patients uh, or participants with a huge degree of uh, or a huge amount of carbohydrate, you know, so we give that we give them a huge amount of carbohydrate before exercise, we give them a huge amount of carbohydrate after exercise, we give them enough carbohydrate to cover the carbohydrate requirements of the meal, you know, I don't care how much energy they, they expended, we give them enough carbohydrate to be able to replenish those carbohydrate stores. We then had to continue overfeeding our guys with carbohydrates, you know, for several hours after exercise, we even give them a bedtime snack with no insulin. And even with a bedtime snack and no insulin, we still had, I think it was about 50% still went low during the night. You know, they woke up with a glucose alert. And it wasn't until we actually dialed down their insulin 
their background insulin level that we could actually prevent these guys from going low. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we can kind of post post that paper as well in um, in uh, the you know with this um, with this uh, episode. But that was that really kind of emphasised you know how potent exercise can be in terms of of changing insulin sensitivity to the point where I don't really care how much carbohydrate you're going to eat. You know, you can't outrun insulin sensitivity, and that's why having or looking at insulin on board is so so important. So. Um, so yeah, I'm, Nick, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, what you got? You know, what do you guys do in terms of trying to prevent late onset hypos? Have you tried the bedtime snack thing? Have you tried overloading carbohydrates? You know, do you, are you are you dialing down your basal dose? How do you get around that kind of insulin sensitivity? You know, thing? Uh, well, that that all depends. It really all depends on the current training regime. Uh, I think um, a big headache for us is that when we exercise one week you know, and then we don't exercise next week, and then we don't exercise for half a week, and then we do exercise for the other half a week, that's really going to mess up your glucose levels. Because uh, if you're exercising on a consistent basis, you don't have to be doing the world's biggest workouts. But if that exercise is coming in consistently, let's just say three days a week, you're going to notice across the board that your insulin sensitivity is going to have increased. Your body's ability to use carbohydrates is going to get a lot better. And the power one unit of insulin has is going to be doing a lot more. Uh, so if you can just, if we can just stay consistent with even the, the smallest uh, fitness regime of some sort, uh, across the board, we're able to actually, well, one, uh, get used to the insulin or the level of insulin sensitivity that we're dealing with. So I think the best way to adjust to it is to have your variables, because there are many, to try and keep as many variables the same. And for me, that is most definitely how I navigate that, because, you know, some weeks I don't exercise as much as I'd like to. Uh, work just sometimes really gets super busy. Uh, and when I say I don't exercise, most of the time that's compared to somebody's exercise. But for me, when I'm actually training, I have to give a lot less insulin across the board or I just have hypos all day long. Mm -hmm. Then the next week I don't exercise as much. I can hardly keep a, gra I can hardly keep a grip on my glucose levels because they keep wanting to be pushed up uh, because I've had less activity. So I think for us to answer your question fast or me, uh, for us to get a grasp on that is to have consistent variables as far as exercise uh, being done. And that helps with consistency quite a bit. Yeah, I would just echo that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Matt, would you, could you just give us the conclusions on this, on this paper, maybe to the top three or four conclusions or two or three conclusions, and then we can, we can just um, sort of have an overview of that. Yeah. So, in this particular paper, we had people treated on um, insulin pens. It was a relatively small sample size. And again, you know, all males, um, relatively well controlled, um, no other kind of complications. So it's not directly applicable to the, the whole population of you know, people with type 1. But in this particular study, we looked at manipulating insulin dose both before and after exercise. And what we showed was that if you have... If you, um, if you have a carbohydrate meal before and after exercise and you reduce the insulin dose that you have with both of those meals, then actually it's a pretty effective strategy for preventing glucose lows both during exercise and also immediately afterwards. So it's a fairly protective strategy up to about three hours after exercise. You need a fairly large reduction before exercise, so about 75%. 
And then afterwards, it was around about 50% or so. And again, this is exercise, which is 45 minutes on a treadmill at a, at a you know, fairly moderate to high intensity. You know? So think about doing a, a kind of 10K pace or so. What, what, it, what it did result in was, even though it was fairly you know, protective in terms of avoiding hyperglycemia during and immediately afterwards, that threat of hyperglycemia still remained for a number of hours after exercise. The exercise was performed early on in the morning. So just be conscious that if you're performing exercise later in the day, that kind of late window is likely to occur during the hours of sleep. Okay, so you're probably going to be exposed to, to kind of nighttime glucose lows. And then the other kind of negative consequence was that heavily reducing your insulin dose, both immediately before exercise and also after exercise, it can actually result in some transient high glucose levels as well. We did look at other factors which are associated with high glucose levels to see whether that would be particularly dangerous, and we didn't detect any in this study. But that's not necessarily to say that you know other people wouldn't necessarily uh, experience that themselves. Um, so that's the main findings from this particular study. And then I'll just add on a couple of kind of key findings from from two further studies where we can we can kind of provide uh, the link to in order to to try and overcome those glucose highs as a result of reducing your insulin dose, you can look at not changing the type of, uh, not changing the amount of carbohydrate, because that's really important for, for replenishing those carbohydrate stores, but look at changing the type of carbohydrate. And secondly, think about changing your background insulin dose as well, because it, as I said earlier, it didn't really matter how much we fed these guys carbohydrate, they just kept going low. It wasn't until we also looked at background insulin that, you know, we were actually able to prevent hyperglycemia. And we were able to do that for, well, we, we measured it for 24 hours after exercise. So, you know, that's a, a fairly comprehensive window there. Thank you. Nick, is there, is there anything that you, that you want to go through, anything that you've got to, to either ask Matt or, or anything else you'd like to sort of add? Yeah, I'd like to just ask you a question on the um, on the basal when you said you you it, it didn't change until you changed their their basal rate. Did you just did you make a change by I suppose the standard you know ten percent uh, up or down, uh, or did you did you do something like a basal test to try and see what the basal rate should change to? Really good question. Um, so we just applied an arbitrary 20% reduction. 20, okay. Yeah, and we actually, so we had a mixture. So again, it was all on all on people with pens. Um, it's going to be slightly different if, you, if you're if you a, a, a pump user. You know, you're not necess, necessarily going to have to change your, your kind of basal rate until later after exercise where you can kind of dial that down. But on pens, we had a mixture of people who either took once or twice daily long-acting insulin um, and some people took it on a morning and some people took it on an evening and some people took it on both morning and an evening. In an ideal world, we would have had enough participants in the study to kind of tease all of those different kind of potentially confounding factors out. But we just applied an arbitrary 20% reduction across the whole board. So it didn't matter whether you had, you know, whether you injected your basal insulin on a morning or on an afternoon. In this particular study, the exercise was performed late in the afternoon it was around about four or five o'clock and yet even the guys who were dialing down their basal insulin during the day because it's a really long acting insulin it didn't really seem to mess up their blood sugars 
you know, before, you know, during that kind of day period. So that's one of the other big worries that a lot of people have when, you know, people, people think, well, I'm, I'm going to start messing around with my kind of background dose. You know, it might get me through exercise, but is it going to mess up my blood sugars, you know, out, outside of exercise? And actually, we didn't really find that. We found that it was completely protective for exercise. And even when you're exercising on an evening, for those on pens who needed to adjust it on the morning, it didn't really change things through the, um, through the uh, like preceding hours. Yeah, interesting. I suppose those that have the hardest time with this um, would be the low, well, would be the low carb crew. Um, you know, trying to exercise with diabetes and having no carbohydrates on board ever, <laughs> it's an, it's impossible. I mean, it's just a, it's just hypo. You know, three a day. I mean, you know, that doesn't end well ever. But um, but yeah, yeah, carbohydrates are definitely a saving grace. Um, yeah, I always say if you want to save money on insulin, start exercising. And if you want to eat more carbohydrates <laughs> without giving insulin to save money on insulin, start exercising. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, that's the way to go for sure. Couldn't I would agree with that. that. And yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I would uh, yeah, I've been there on the, on the low carb and, and going low three times in a day due to uh, oh, me too, exercising. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 been absolutely there. This was really useful for me because what the takeaways for me were were the fifty percent post um, post exercise and actually just ratifying that figure and saying, you know what, if you don't want to go low and you're really concerned about lows, you can pretty much you you you've got a very good chance of not going low if you reduce your um, your um, basal by fifty percent post exercise. That for me was was a really useful um, tip um, for because it's a question that gets asked a lot, you know. Um, and the other takeaway from this was just how complicated this is. You know, it's complicated before, during, and after. And from what you can read here, and we all know it is. We've been, you know, both myself and Nick have been living with diabetes for long enough to know the the effects of doing this. But are they consistent? depending on what you do and how you do it. Yes, they can be, <laughs> but invariably diabetes isn't consistent. So it's not always that way. Now, the, the other takeaway was that um, you can get those, those um, effects for another, you, you know, for many hours post. And, um, and that explains a lot, depending on the type, the type of training and the time of day that you train. And that's why I predominantly train in the mornings now you know, without insulin on board. Um, I, it's not the only time I train, but that's that's the vast majority of when I train to try and avoid some of these things. Um, but look, this was really useful. And thank you, um, Nick, for um, for attending and, and joining us as our first ever guest. You've been, um, you've had some great questions and you've added some huge value as well. Um, what I'll do is I'll put some a link to yourself, Diabetic Athletic um, and your, your business. And, um, and I think if, people are going to listen to this or watch this, I think they should they should know or they should understand now just how complicated it is. And that's why they need to speak to people like you and hopefully listen to things like this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I was, uh, I was very excited um, when you asked me to be on here. Like I said to you, I was quite tired before I got on here, uh, but I'm actually feeling so pumped now. I don't actually think I'm going to be able, be able to sleep. I won't be going to train though, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. And Matthew, it was also great meeting you too. Thanks so much for everything that you've done. Likewise, thanks, Nick.